continue our study here in, in Colossians. We, we're finally past chapter 2, and now we're entering into chapter 3. So if you've been tracking with us over the past couple of months, we've been walking through all the way from Colossians chapter 1. This morning, we're just going to take a look at verses 1 through 4. Uh, we're going to move pretty quickly. It's going to be much shorter this morning. Um, and just a reminder, at the close of the service, at the end of the sermon time, we're going to move right into uh, communion and, and coming to the Lord's table. Um, so they're going to be linking in together. Uh, as I said at the close of last week, at the end of chapter 2, Paul kind of ended the big doctrinal section of the book of Colossians, where in chapters 1 and 2, a lot of doctrine is going on there. So there was a lot more fleshing out and different things going on. Well, here, now he's seeking to give us some things, the way that we're to respond to the doctrine that he's already taught. So if you've been sitting here and wondering, okay, I need something to do. I need to be told, this is where I need to look now. This is what I need to be doing. This morning is going to work out well for you. Um, but again, I want, I want to keep in mind everything that it is that we see biblically. When, when the Bible is telling us that to do something, this is not just because it's a cold, hard set of rules. It's not just because... Well, God just wants you to do it. It's always based on, based on your position in Christ. Now, here's how we respond. Again, throughout, I'm not going to rehash all of chapter 1 and chapter 2, but we saw primarily uh, Paul's summary from chapters 1 and 2 in the whole book of Colossians is that Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for salvation and for anything that you could ever need. Don't need to add to it. Christ alone is sufficient. And we see in chapter 2, he, we are complete in him. So after this extensive conversation on doctrine, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Again, very simple, very straightforward. I almost feel at times I'm not even going to have to really go into much of it. We could read it, and you guys are going to understand it right away and feel really good about it. Uh, but I'm not going to do that, even though I fully believe in your ability. Um, but again, everything talking about who Christ is, being rooted in him, the fact that we were dead to the world, made alive in Christ, he's going to repeat this in verse 1. Um, but we're going to see a lot of conversation between verses 1 and 2 talking about um, where we're supposed to focus our attention, of, of paying attention and focused on the things that are in heaven, not things of the earth. And so before we get into it, I want to just kind of set the backdrop a little bit. In John chapter 18, verse 35 and 36, we see a conversation here prior to the crucifixion. We see Jesus talking to Pilate. And you remember, there's a lot of different things that go on in this exchange. They're having a big conversation, kind of, um, Pilate's almost giving Jesus an out, a way of escape, so that he doesn't have to go through with this. So they're talking, and in verse 35 of John 18, Pilate answers him, saying, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answers him, saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. This morning we're going to see some of the implications of this, where we're seeing Jesus making it very clear, he is not of this world. His kingdom is not here. That yes, at this time he's with his people, but this is not his kingdom. And we're going to see the implications of our union with Christ because of our position in him. We're going to see what this means for us uh, practically, uh, doctrinally, many of these ways. Um, looking so much at kingdom this week, I, I thought a lot about, and I don't really know why I did, probably because it was all over the news, but the big royal wedding that recently happened. Um, show of hands, how many of you watched at least some of it? Not Okay, so some over here. 
a little bit. I was going to say, we, we have a really huge split over here. I, w I uh, didn't receive an invitation, and I was hurt. I wanted to go. Um, but no, and I always thought about this, and this is kind of a side tra trail for a minute. Um, but when you're marrying into the royal family, like, I always feel bad for the bride in a way. And Brittany and I argued back and forth about this. She's like, why would you feel bad for her? Like, she's now a royal. Like, she's all of these things, right? But I thought, like, she doesn't really get her own wedding. She doesn't really get to plan or have it the way that she's always dreamed of as a little girl, unless that's exactly what she wanted from the time that she was born. But I just thought about it. Like, she kind of loses her opportunity to actually have the wedding that she wanted. And um, how many of you had a bunch of news cameras and George Clooney at your wedding? right? Didn't happen, I don't think. Um, and just so much of that is going on there. Um, that's a complete side point, and we're moving on from that. Um, but this morning, again, we're going to look at, our, our, at the union here that's going to be taking place. Very simply, we're going to look at what does it mean. Christ's, Christ is not of this world. We're aware of that. His kingdom, not of this world. So we too, as Christians, have to understand the union that we share Within that as well, uh, let's read through the verses and then we'll and then we'll continue on. Um, but starting in Colossians chapter three, starting in verse one, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning for your word and for your, your grace and your goodness to us. We thank you that, uh, quite simply, that you are who you are. And we thank you for your, your holiness. We thank you for, for loving us so much. And we do thank you that you've given us your word. And uh, Father, I pray that in these next few moments, as we look at your word and see uh, so clearly what it is that that our attention and our focus should be as, as Christians, that we would um, truly be seeking after you and um, that we would have the right view of, of who you are and that we would grow in our affection for you. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in verse 1, we're, we're seeing him continuing on with this understanding of being risen with Christ. He's already closed that in chapter, in chapter 2. Um, we're familiar in Romans chapter 12, again, with this idea of where our attention should be and not being, we're being in the world, but not supposed to be um, of the world and being conforming to it. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many kids in Awana have memorized this, some of you as well, right? Uh, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Talks a lot about the mind here, not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is not just a willful, intentional effort where a person just says, I'm going to completely change my mind all on my own. This isn't something where we can just say, I'm just going to change the way that I think about everything because it's very, very difficult. It's all linking back to because of what Christ has done and because of who he is. And so Paul in Romans is exhorting them not to conform to the world. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul once again tells us to leave the world. He tells us to take our hearts, our hopes, our thoughts, and just get them out of here. How is this supposed to happen? How does he do this? Because again, whenever Paul is talking about this, he's saying, don't be in the world, don't conform to the world, don't look just like the world. And I think many of us are really familiar with this. We're, go we're supposed to look different. If we're a Christian, we're supposed to look different than someone else in the world. We shouldn't look identical. 
Because if we have a redeemed spirit, a redeemed heart, we have been a new creation, we are to look different. So Paul is saying in Ephesians to get rid of all of these things. And how does he do it? By telling us that everything that we really want is in heaven anyways. Everything that we really want, everything that we really desire, it is not going to be found here. It's not going, it's not, you can just go to Lowe's and get exactly what you need spiritually because it's not here. Paul continues to tell us to look to the heavens, to look upon heavenly things. And we're going to see why in just a minute. But he says, for example, that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Where? Does it say on earth? It says in the heavenlies. All the spiritual blessings, they are not found here in this temporal earth. They are found in the heavenlies. In chapter 3, verse 10 of Ephesians, it says the angels are there in the heavenlies. In chapter 1, verse 20, it says that Christ is there. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says that our position in Christ is in the heavenlies. That sounds like a pretty good place to be, doesn't it? Does that sound a lot better than here? Angels are there. Christ is there. Our position is there. Compare that to, to where we are now. It doesn't even compare. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I absolutely love these verses, because as Paul is laying this out, it becomes clear. The moment that you came to Christ, while you were still dead in your sins, as it says in verse 5, when you were made alive together with Christ, when you were saved by grace in verses 5 and 6, you were instantaneously raised up and given a place in the heavenlies with Christ position eternally that should be an incredible encouragement to each and every one of us that we're not working towards getting in getting our position found in christ it is already there from salvation and as paul continues to lay these things out it's an incredible encouragement because it's already been done the grammar here he's written this in the aorist tense which means it's been done in the past and it will never change it has been established never to be changed it is irrevocable your position cannot be changed in Christ. First John tells us that when we put our faith in Christ, we have overcome the world. The world is very, very good. Satan is very, very good at trying to, to battle, is he not? Is Satan very, very good at deceit? Absolutely. And, and if we're, we're being honest with ourselves, we could say, yes, each and every day I feel the battle because there is a battle. It is a very present reality, not just in the life of a Christian, but even on those who have no idea who Christ is, but they simply don't have a way to overcome the battle. First John tells us that we have overcome the world when we put our faith in Christ. And so again, keep in mind the context. He's writing to this group of Christians. He's writing to a church. And as he writes in verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ. Is he saying, well, if you are risen with Christ? Or is he saying, since you are risen with Christ? This is the if of reality. Right? This would be like me saying to everyone that's here right now, if you are here today, who is here right now that actually isn't here today? Doesn't make sense, right? I don't think it does. Right? If you are here today, well, since you are here today, all each and every one of you are actually here. It is the present reality. He's writing this. If ye then be risen with Christ, he's saying, since you are risen with Christ, and you are. He's writing to a group of believers. You are already risen with Christ. That is not the question. So since you are, now he's going to give them a focus. Seek those things which are above. 
Seek those things which are above. And why is, it that it, why is there such an emphasis on this? And it closes in verse 1, making it clear why. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. There is such beautiful language here in this verse because it's not just simply saying, it reminds you of the truth. Yes, you have been raised to life in Christ. You are already risen. That has already happened. It's been established and there's no going back. It has already happened. You are a new creation raised to life in Christ. So now in light of that, seek those things which are above. And then he says, why? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Not just what is it that I'm seeking. Okay, I need to seek on things above. What does that mean? That could be so many different things above. Looking to the clouds and saying, wow, God, this is a really beautiful earth that you've made. Is that what he's talking about here? Is he saying just to look up because there's something super special about looking up? Right? He's making it clear because he adds it at the end of verse 1. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So not just what to look for those things that are above, but most importantly, who to look for, who to seek, where Christ is. This is the, the beautiful picture of the language here, is it's not just look to the heavens, try to experience heaven. Right? We've heard so many different stories all over time between videos, books, movies, all of these different things about people experiencing heaven, right? Going to heaven, dying, going to heaven, coming back. I'm not going to have an extensive conversation about that. Just be in question, be discerning with it, right? This is not what he's saying. He's not saying you just need to have this asceticism. You need to have all of these other ideas. You need to experience heaven. But he's making it clear. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Do you remember in Hebrews, Christ died, became the one perfect sacrifice, has ascended to the heavens, sitting at the right hand of God. Christ is in heaven. So if we're seeking those things that are above, who are we going to find? We're going to find Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about it, is we're not just looking up, wandering into the heavens, looking as if we're trying to look up through the clouds and trying to experience some incredible experience we've never had. But our vision is properly aligned on who Christ is. Setting your mind upon heavenly things, because that is where Christ sits, next to the Father. It's not just to think about heaven. It is also to think about who is in heaven. When you think of heaven, what are, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, it's really hard for me to kind of get away from certain images that I've been uh, trained and taught from when I was very little, or even that I've seen in movies, right? Um, images that we have from even an earliest age, they stick with us, whether positively or negatively. There's things that we've seen that we know are false and incorrect, but they still pop up into our mind and that come through. They're very, very hard to remove. And whenever I, I think of, you hear the word heaven, instantaneously in my mind there's clouds, gold, all these other things that aren't entirely what the picture of heaven should be. Because it always takes a minute to think of heaven, Christ seated next to the Father, because so much of my life between movies and other things, it's been something different. And he is saying here, seek those things which are above. Not, not going into all these other details, but pointing out the most important thing, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So how is it they're going to seek these things? He makes it clear in verse 2, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. To set your mind, to set your affections, set your will, your intentions, the core of who you are, all that you are, on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. Now let's stop for a second. Is this contrary 
Is this, this is the heart of a believer, right? He's saying, since you are these things, since you are risen with Christ, you should be seeking those things that are above. Would that be the same for a person who doesn't know Christ? I'm going to wait for a yes or a no. Okay, there's a lot of head shaking. I'll, I'll say no, right? No. Someone just say no, please. Just say no, it's okay, right? This isn't, this isn't school. No one's going to get smacked on the hand if you talk, okay? Which I'm not sure you're allowed to do that anymore, actually. Um, but this is so, there's a contrast here that he's saying, setting your affections on things above, not things on the earth. Now, it's hard to read these verses and sit there and go, okay, cool, and keep moving. This has to bring about an honest time of reflection and saying, all right, now, as a Christian, am I properly fulfilling this idea? Or am I seeking heavenly things? Am I setting my mind on things that are in heaven? Am I setting my mind upon Christ? Because where it is that we're setting all of our time, our thoughts, all of these things is going to show what we love the most, right? How do you know what you love the most? What do you think about all the time? Where is your focus? What is your attention on? Because that is going to reveal what it is that we love the most. And the contrast here is things above, things on the earth. Set it on things above, not on things of the earth. Because what is it that we're so commonly told to focus on by the world? Advancing in your job. Basically, the song that we were just singing, right? I'd rather have Jesus than all of these other things. Everything else in that list is what it is that the world is telling you is most important. Fame, money, the best job, advancing throughout, attaining as much personal success as you can. Now again, not saying that having personal success is a bad thing. But what is the motivation for doing these things? So he says, we seek it by setting our mind on these things. How do you do this? For me, personally, the answer is very simple. Um, my mind personally is set most upon heavenly things when I am preoccupied with the Scripture. Plain and simple, that is when I am most set upon heavenly things. Um, how hard is it for you uh, to focus on everything else when you're actually reading the Bible? Is it hard for you to, to really struggle and have the, the sinful thoughts and these other things going on and to be so distracted when you're actually reading the Bible? It is very difficult, and I've found that personally, the more that I'm preoccupied with what the Bible is saying, I do a whole lot better in keeping my focus upon heavenly things. You know, when you're taught to drive, um, anyone that isn't really in here, maybe young enough in driving, so just a couple of you, right? Um, you're not taught to just sit here and stare at the steering wheel so that you know exactly how you're turning, right? Some of you are laughing. Imagine how that would go, right? Driving a car by staring at the steering wheel or staring right at the front bumper of your car, looking at the closest bit of pavement that you can see. How far do you think you're going to make it before you run into something? Right? This is what kids do, right? Because they're looking over the wheel. They can't see. They don't look above them, right? They're peeking over there trying to look, and they're trying to look like right here, and they're swerving all over the place. I know this because I let Benji drive sometimes <laughs> in the parking lot. Okay, not on Grand. Not yet. Okay, so where is your attention supposed to be when you're driving a car? Someone say something. Talk. Way up. Way up thank you, Kenny. I trust his driving. Right? Way up forward. You're not supposed to see what's directly in front of you. You're going to be able to see it, but you need to be able to see what's oncoming. Your focus is further on. It's past exactly where you are. Now think about this. A heavenly mindset is not one that's just set upon things of the earth, the things that are naturally right in front of us at this time. 
at the temporal things. That's not where the focus is supposed to be. Christians, he's saying, have your mind set upon things that are in heaven, setting it upon where Christ is seated next to God. Have your eyes forward, thinking in light of the big picture. Driving doesn't work when you stare at the small picture. It's very, very dangerous and not very good. Seeing the big picture, seeing it, and as a Christian, what is the big picture? We think with an eternal mindset. We are not temporal. And this is where we need, where our focus is always to be. And he continues to exhort these things. Set your affections on those things, not on things of the earth. And it is so hard to keep all of these things perfectly in balance because we feel like they're not weighted properly. The things that you encounter on a daily basis, what percentage of those things are encouraging you to focus upon Christ, to focus on the heavenly things? Because so much of the system that's been set up is to keep you away from that and focusing on everything else so that you don't even have time to look to Christ. My mind is most set upon heavenly things when you're preoccupied with the Scriptures, when that is the focus. And it continues into verse 3, reminding you once again, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Again, reminding you who you are. If you, if you have faith in Christ, if you believed upon Him for salvation, you are dead to the world. Dead as in dead, dead. You don't need to follow these things. You're not held in bondage of sin and of death and to the world anymore. And we've already covered that in great detail in chapters 1 and 2. I'm not going to rehash all of it. But you are dead to the world and your life is hid with Christ in God. Is there a better place to have your life hid than with God? Than with Christ? There's no better place to have it hidden because simply He is the one who is completely in control. And I love the encouragement here. He's saying it is secure. It is concealed in Him. There's incredible security that comes with our life, our souls, our hearts being secure in Christ. You remember back in John chapter 10 where Christ is talking, he's comparing himself, um, he's showing himself to be the, the good shepherd, right? The true shepherd, all of these different things that we see in John chapter 10. Uh, and we're sheep of his fold, those who are in him, they're sheep that he's protecting. He is the shepherd, he is the one who keeps out thieves and robbers. Is anybody going to hop over that fence and take you out as one of Christ's sheep? Absolutely not. Can't be done, you're secure because he is the one who is holding you. And I think it's so important because oftentimes people get weighed down with, well, I don't, I still struggle with these things. How am I going to know? How do I know that I'm still in Christ? How do I still know these things? Because Christ is the one, you're, you're secure in Him because He has concealed you. He is the one who has hidden your life in Him. And the beauty of this continues on to the union here in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. How many of us look forward to the day when Christ appears again? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I have heard this as, as the heart and such an incredible thing that Christians are looking forward to. And it makes all the sense in the world where our faith will be sight. We look upon Christ in all of His glory, gazing upon His glory and simply praising Him. And what it is that that's going to be. But when Christ appears, we will appear with Him. There is incredible union that is shown here. Unity with Christ we have unity with a lot of different people, whether it's friends, family, within our marriages, all these different relationships. But unity with Christ, the Son of God who, who 
atone for the sins of the world, the one who made all things, who all things are made for him. That is the one who we have joined to union with that salvation. What an incredible privilege that that actually is. And one I think that we pass on far too often. We've been raised to life in Christ and our lives have been hid with him. And again, I said that we're moving quickly and we're about done with these verses because again, it's very straightforward. It's very simple. It's echoing a lot that's been found in chapters 1 and chapter 2. But I want us to see this morning, because Paul is making these things clear, to set our mind on the things that are in heaven, to set our affections on things that are in heaven, on Christ. Again, you can't, take, you can't have heaven without Christ, because that's not what it is. It's only heaven because Christ is there, not just because we're, because we're looking forward to all these extra things. Are, are we happy with, with Christ or are we happy with the idea of heaven if Christ is all that there is? Because that's all that there is. Thinking upon Christ, looking upon Him, the center of our life, the focus of our day. The focus of this day is what? The focus of a Sunday, the focus of a church meeting, of the church joining together in uni- unity with one another. What is the focus? Is it just for, for friendships and highs and, and average-ish coffee and... Right? It, that's not all the point. We get so distracted so often. The point is to praise Christ because of the unity that we share in fellowship with Him. He is the center of your life. He is the focus of your day, the object of our affection. Christ and Christ alone, as we saw in the previous chapters. Not everything else. Not philosophy. Not just spiritual experiences that people are saying that you have to have and you feel intimidated if you don't have them. If you have Christ, you have enough. You don't need to go searching. You have enough. Complete in Him. And I love that even in something so simple as this, of something that so many of you have already heard constantly in all your years in church, to set your mind on things above, to look to the heavens, to be focused on Christ. But how often, if we're honest, do we lose focus and start to wander a little bit? We don't drive perfectly straight. We don't have our eyes set all the way down the road. We turn and we look at what's going on over here. This would happen if my kids were driving, right? Benji's not going to be straight focused down the road looking at all the different cross streets to see what may be coming on. He's probably not even going to have his foot off the gas. He's going to keep going as fast as he can. And if he sees a dog on the side, we're going that way. Right? You guys understand how this goes. We get so easily distracted. And Paul is reminding them, since you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. When we're actually seeking Christ and seeking after Him and reading the Scriptures, have you found yourself to be more properly focused on things of God? It's very hard not to. Where is your focus? Where is your attention? And as he, as he closes this all out, making it clear, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall He also appear with Him in glory. The communion that we will share with Christ just the beauty of all that that's going to be. Seeing Him in all of His glory, us being joined with Him, communing with our Lord and our Savior. The thing that we all look forward to universally here. We all look forward to that day. Because our affection is Christ in light of what it is that He did for us. Knowing that He died, but knowing that He didn't stay dead, but that He was raised to life. And on a day like today where um, for Memorial Day and remembering soldiers who, who have died and, 
and who have passed in, in service for these things, understanding what an incredible sacrifice that is. Um, but we also, each and every Sunday, we get to come together as a church body and to be able to praise the one, the, the perfect sinless Son of God who took away the sins of the world, sacrificing his life for us to have eternal salvation, eternal redemption. And I think that's something that's obviously worth praise and worth um, all of our worship. And so, um, at this time, I'm just going to ask a couple of the men to um, come forward, and we're going to um, prepare to uh, come to the Lord's table here this morning. Um, but just a couple of things of note, and as looking at this text, we've, we're seeing all this understanding of being risen with Christ. How are we risen with Christ? Because we died to the world because he is the one who died for sin. Um, I was reading uh, last night a book by Sinclair Ferguson. It's called A Heart for God. And in there, he talks a lot about remembering and not forgetting God. Um, just one little paragraph that he wrote, he said, When Moses looked back on the events that had fulfilled the promise God gave him at the burning bush, he set before the people the response that the Lord expected from them. Be careful not to forget the Lord and to observe his commands. He says, There in a sentence is the true response to, this, to the discovery of God's character revealed in all that he says and does. Do not forget him. Live in his presence and open the whole of your life to his will expressed in his word. It's such a simple message here. And even Moses, we're familiar with the stories. These incredible acts and mighty works of God where he's showing himself to be all that he is and the mighty power of God and yet how quickly they forgot all that he had done. I mean this is an incredible show of God's power, his might, his glory, all of these things and yet here's Moses reminding them, hey don't forget. We see in the life of Jesus him doing miracles and how within seemingly uh, a paragraph later in our Bibles, maybe a couple hours later they had already forgotten the things that he had just done that they had forgotten the fish and the loaves. Now imagine if you were there as you see Jesus multiplying the fish, multiply, multiplying the loaves of bread. How long would it take for you to ever forget that? Would it be a couple hours? Would it be half a day? It would be really hard to forget, right? And here we have the truth and the word of the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ, the atonement for our sins, the broken body, the blood that was shed on the cross, and how often... At times, we tend to forget all that it was that it cost. And so here he's saying, since you've been risen with Christ here in Colossians, then focus on those things. Set your affections on those things. You are dead. Your life is in Christ. And I love the emphasis here that as Sinclair Ferguson is writing it, do not forget him, but live in his presence. Christ is alive today. We do not serve a, a, a dead Savior, but a risen one who has raised us to life. And this morning we'll come to the Lord's table to commune with him, to, to understand all that he's done, to reflect and to be thankful for his work on the cross, the broken body, the shed blood, and to commune not only with Christ, but also with one another in doing so. Um, but at this time, if the men would, would come. Um. And just a couple of thoughts, and you guys can...